Welcome to The Spirit of Success, a podcast hosting honest conversations for people who want to show up and work in life to create their own limitless realities. Each week, we deliver spiritual inspiration from real people, sharing their stories about authentic living from the road less traveled. Now here's your host, Dr. Tracy Debbie. Hello, welcome to Spirit of Success, the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Tracy Debbie. I am really, really excited to share this episode with you today. I have Naveed on the show, who is the founder of the Knowledge Society, co-founder of the Knowledge Society. I heard him on a different interview series that I listened to, and I instantly was just like so resonating with what he was talking about because he talked about unicorn people. He works with youth so that we can, you know, help create the leaders of tomorrow. And he has so much fascinating information. Like, please get out a pen and paper for this episode because you are going to want to take notes. We cover like so many important things. But basically, in a nutshell, he took an executive training program for CEOs and he's delivering it to young people, which makes so much sense. This is how we take people who are hungry for more at a young age and give them all the tools that they need to uh, make a big impact in the world. And that's something I'm super passionate about doing. I wish I had when I was younger. uh, And we talk about that in the episode as well. So this is a very, very good episode. You will want to listen and tune in. So I'm really excited and proud to share this one with you. So Check out the episode. Can't wait for you to hear it. Naveed, thank you so much for being here on Spirit of Success, the podcast today. Um, It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Tracy. So I saw you on a um, game changer session run by Candice Factor and everything you were saying, I was just like so much yes to this, (laughs) to everything that you're saying. So um, you have a company called the Knowledge Society, which I think is super fascinating given exactly what's happening in 2020. (laughs) Can you tell us what your company is and what you guys do and then how 2020 impacted you guys? Uh, Yeah, so the Knowledge Society is what we call a human accelerator, and it is specifically for young people ages 13 to 18 years old. And uh, similar to a startup accelerator, like if you've heard of any of these Y Combinator, Techstars, they take companies who have high potential and then help them grow their companies and hopefully achieve a billion dollar plus status, which they call unicorn companies. In TKS, we try to take young people with a lot of potential and help nurture them so they can go make a big impact in the world and hopefully impact billions. And so we call them unicorn people. In TKS, we're really trying to build these unicorn people that will make a big impact in the world. And so it's a 10-month program. There's an application and interview process in order to be accepted into the program. We have in-person locations around Canada and the US, and we have a virtual program which was released during COVID. And so we have uh, students from over 30 different cities across the world from that program. It's going really, really well. The ability to just connect some of the world's most driven, curious, ambitious people is incredible. And I'm seeing friendships being made from, you know, a 15-year-old girl in India with, you know, a 17-year-old boy in Israel to another 16-year-old girl in Indonesia to another 16-year-old girl in Pennsylvania. Um, And it's insane how, 
you know, these young people are creating these global networks at such an early, early age. So uh, we're really looking for those, those curious driven young people that want to make an impact in the world and know that school is, is not enough to, to push their potential. And that's really why we started TKS to ultimately build what I wish I had when I was younger and what my brother wish he had when he was younger. We, we started this company together in 2016. That sounds like the exact thing I would have wanted when I was younger too. So that's that, that's awesome. And you also talk about like the four pillars of TKS. Can you share with our audience what those are as well? Yeah. So TKS is structured around four areas. Uh, like you mentioned, the first one is knowledge. So the knowledge society and specifically with knowledge, we look at uh, two facets of it. One is emerging technologies and sciences. We think these are the new tools that if you had the knowledge about, you could actually make a huge impact in the world, solve big problems. And the second area of knowledge is philosophy, wisdom, um, just knowledge of the world and yourself. The second area is skills. So learning about real world skills in the 21st century. Uh, it's not enough to be able to just memorize math formulas. You know, we have Google, we have computers. There's so many things available to us. Um, so what are the skills that we need today? For example, networking being able to write, not in essay form, but in more blog form, being able to communicate, being able to uh, know how to have productive meetings, for example. (laughs) Uh, So that's real world skills. And there's a lot more there. The third one is mindset. And I think mindset is, I probably should have said it first, because it is the most important one that we focus on in TKS. Uh, And every week in every session, we have a mindset of the week. And we train and expose our students to different mindsets that can help them be successful in their life and and not successful by societal standards, but successful by their own standards. And so we talk about different mindsets like kindness, stoicism, anti-fragility. We talk about mindsets across the board to just build a great human being and a resilient human being. So that's with mindsets. And each mindset has different activities and exercises. Uh, to help develop that and train that. And then the fourth pillar uh, within TKS is networks. And when I say networks, it's really relationships. You know, when we use the word networking, it feels very businessy, but but it's not, it doesn't need to be businessy, right? The word, the word network just means having multiple connections. And so we train how to develop networks through building relationships, whether it's a professional relationship, whether it's a friendship type of relationship it should all be relationship-based. And so how do you actually build strong networks um, that can compound throughout your life and help you build those friendships as well as business relationships that can help you succeed both personally and professionally throughout your life? So those are the four things that we focus on in TKS, knowledge, real-world skills, mindsets, and networks. That sounds like like a good package of like life skills. <laughs> I feel like as adults, that's the thing that most people struggle with. Is that how like these pillars were born or like where did these pillars come from? So we, we built TKS through first principles thinking. First principles thinking is, is the mental model that a lot of people use like Elon Musk when he was building SpaceX. And it's really just breaking down the problem to the root, the roots of it, to the foundations of it. And so when we were, when we were thinking about TKS and what we wish we had when we were younger, we thought, okay, we wish we had something to help enable our potential to help optimize ourselves so we can go and contribute to the world in an extremely meaningful way. And we felt that the education system growing up, at least our experience, 
um, wasn't optimizing our potential. And so when we broke it down into first principles, we really thought, what are the key areas that we need? And even today, what we wish someone could teach us right now. Um, and so when I was building my first company, I actually had a CEO coach. I was 21, you know, building a cloud security company in Silicon Valley. And uh, one of my mentors told me, you need a coach. So I, so I hired a CEO coach. And a lot of what he taught me is also infused in this program. This program is not a kid's program. It's actually an executive training program that we happen to deliver to kids. And I think that's, that's extremely, extremely powerful. We tend to think about kids' programs as, you know, oh, that's cute. But when you actually really take a look at our program, it is very much for, for executives. And it's the skills and mindsets and all those things that executives need to succeed. And if we want our kids to be in that position in the future, then why would we wait till later to expose them to these things, right? We should expose them to these things as early as possible so they can compound on these things. Yeah, I love that. A lot of the things I learned in school, I have to unlearn some of them as I get up, as I grow up, and not because they were wrong. It's just they don't serve me in the places that I want to go. So I love that you're teaching these things to kids now. Like you said, they're hungry for it; they want it. And this is just coming to my mind now with COVID. I think there's like a spotlight on education, and I love that there has been a conversation around learning versus education. And I would love to kind of ask you if you think those things are the same. And if they're not, what's different about them? There's this one quote that Tony Robbins said in a podcast he did with Tim Ferriss, and I really liked it. And he said, people want to be educated, but they'd rather be entertained. That really struck me because it is one of the most true things about education (laughs) that I've heard. We talk a lot about education, but when you actually see the execution of it, it's very, very poor. And when you see the uptake of it, it's very poor. You look at MOOCs, online learning, the completion rate of most MOOCs is under 4%, mm-hmm. under 4% completion rate. But this was the big thing, you know, let's take high quality learning and throw it online, but people aren't using it. But when you look at TikTok, Instagram, when you look at video games like League of Legends, Fortnite, Call of Duty, you have insane engagement around it. And so I think the future is really understanding how to merge education and entertainment. There's a lot of conversation about education, but adults talking about education does not translate into young people actually being educated. And just because you start an organization or build an app doesn't mean people will use it. Over the next five to 10 years, we're actually going to see more uh, products, technologies, solutions around innovation and education, and of course, other areas focused actually more on edutainment. Even in the classroom, I think the best, you know, teachers make their classes entertaining for their students. And that's something that we also focus on at TKS very heavily. Um, We tell our students, you know, you're, we're here to train you, but at the same time, you know, if they're not enjoying it, they're going to phase out. If they don't feel like they're growing, they're going to get distracted with those other thoughts on their mind that happened before their day, before they joined that session or or what you know their friend said to them on a text message during the session, and now they're distracted with that. It is a psychology thing here. Education is not uh, is not we'll build a platform and then we'll educate people, but it is really about psychology of people and the psychology of young people as well. And you know what's so interesting about that? So I have a background in healthcare. So I was a chiropractor for five years, and something I noticed in working with patients is that it can be really boring when you're talking about rehab even though it's their like wellness at stake. 
But as soon as you gamify it, that's the term we use, like gamify. As soon as I would gamify it, I would get their buy-in. As you said, it's a psychology thing. So if I could connect them with why they were in my office, like the real root reason why, like I want to spend more quality time with my daughter. And when I go pick her up in her crib, I have back pain type thing. And then if I could gamify their rehab, I got insane buy-in. So I started looking at the research and it's funny, there's research out there from like NFL players and people that get injured that have to come back quickly. And when they gamify their rehab, it was like 80 times more effective. It's nuts. Yeah. I'm like, that's <laughs> like a stat that you can't even like comprehend that stat. Like people think I'm saying eight times more effective. No, I'm saying 80 times more effective. It's just kind of like that, like buy-in. So I love that you, you say that. Cause to me, I'm like, this applies to anything. Something else that I wanted to talk about, because you talk about how like mindset is like one of the biggest pillars, if not the biggest pillar. And that's what I work with now a lot is mindset. You mentioned something really interesting about the biggest problem or the biggest thing you end up talking to young people about. Do you remember what that was on Candace's session? Yeah, mental health. Yeah. And I was just wondering, because at least for me, when I was growing up, it was like, if you go to a good school, you're going to have a great life. That was like the formula. And my parents did everything that they could to make sure I went to a good school. And there was so much pressure around that time. And like, that was all I cared about. And I'm sure it's like that now times 10. So I was just wondering if you can tell us kind of what you talk to these kids about and what their mindset is, because like you said, these are the people that are going to be like future leaders. So like, what do you see the most? So I think I'd break it down into two areas. The first one is... Uh, social pressures. And the second one is agency. So under social pressures, what we're seeing today is a huge compound buildup of a ton of pressures from the last probably 50 years. And those pressures are very much around what does success mean to a parent? What does success mean to society? The inverse of it is what does failure mean to a parent? And what does failure mean to society? And so we're actually not optimizing success for young people, I would argue. I think we're actually mitigating risk. We're mitigating failure. And so when you want to get the highest grades in school, you're not optimizing for the success of that student's life. You're trying to mitigate as best as possible for failure. You want them to make sure they get into the university that they want to go to. Um, but it's not necessarily teaching them how to be a happy person. If you're trying to optimize for someone's life, you're not going to say get 100% in all your courses. You're going to say develop self-awareness build strong relationships, understand finances. Those are things that would help you be, be a happy and, and successful person in the long term. And so what we're really doing right now, we're confusing living a good life to not failing in life and not going to university equals failure. I mean, I can't talk for everyone else, but for immigrant parents, a lot of our students in the program, their parents, if they're you know first generation here, They'll value being a doctor, being a lawyer, you know, those types of things. Well, why do they do that? Well, because it mitigates risk. It is stable. You will get a certain, uh, you know, salary. And when you tell your friends, my son is a doctor, my daughter is a lawyer, it, it's met with, oh, you succeeded as a parent. And so again, a lot of psychology there. So all of those pressures from the parent starts getting put onto the student, uh, compounded with what all the other students in their classes I'm using the word compound a lot today. It does compound though. <laughs> yeah. What all the other students in their, in their class are thinking and what their parents are saying and what their teachers are saying and their schools are saying. And so all of a sudden, what starts mattering a lot to these students? For high school students, it's get into university. For university students, it's 
get a good job, right? And so you're constantly playing these short-term games. And when you're busy playing these short-term games, what's the opportunity cost? You forget about your long-term goals. You forget about the person that you want to become because you're so busy in this rat race with everybody else. You're so busy looking around that you forget to look inside. So that's the first one, societal pressures. The second one is agency I mentioned. Well, what does agency mean? Control over yourself, control over your decisions. And to do that, you need awareness over yourself. You need awareness over your decisions. And when it comes to agency, one of the things that my CEO coach told me in our first meeting, there are things that happen to you and there are things that happen by you. And you need to know how to differentiate them. And so we started talking about those things. And he gave me an example. He's like, if you are in a traffic jam in your car, stand still. You have an extremely important meeting in, in 10 minutes and you're definitely going to be, you're going to miss that meeting. Is that happening to you or by you? And I was like, well, it's happening to me. I'm in this traffic jam. I can't do anything. He's like, exactly. What could other people think though, if they thought it was happening by them? Well, they could think, oh, I should have left earlier. I should have checked Google Max. I should have done this. I should have done that. Well, then they make it feel like it's happening by them. But in that moment, it's happening to them. And you can learn, but in that specific moment, there's nothing you can do about it. And so it doesn't make sense to be angry about it. It doesn't make sense to even think about it. You might as well just start thinking about the next thing on your mind or reflect on something else. But that particular moment, being upset that you're in a traffic jam, going to miss that meeting, doesn't change the situation. It's happening to you. Whereas the things that are happening by you, they're in your control. Those are the things you can think about. Those are the things you can change. The reason I bring this up is because I've had a lot of one-on-ones with many students recently and a lot of friends. It's not clear if they understand when an event is happening to them and when an event is happening by them. Either there's a student that feels or a person that feels like everything is happening to them. In that case, they're victimized. In that case, they don't take action. They don't realize what is actually in my control. How can I take agency and ownership to change the situation? For the people and students that think everything is happening by them, well, now they start getting stressed out. They start getting anxiety. They start feeling pressured. Oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And it gets them to the spiral where eventually they break. They get burnt out. And so you have to understand the two spaces and be able to balance those things. And at the end of the day, you are in control of your happiness. And I think that's a very controversial thing to say, but I, I really think about Maslow's hierarchy. Let me, let me break it down. So in, in Maslow's hierarchy, the first two pillars around basic needs, safety, and security. I think if those two things are met, then happiness is largely in your control. So I think if you do have food, if you do have shelter, if you do have a sense of security, aka you're not, for example, in Syria in a refugee camp worried that your camp might get bombed or something like that, it's probably extremely difficult. And, and there might be people that you know can still control their happiness in those situations. And those people are very strong-minded and that's amazing. <laughs> I think for a lot of people, it's difficult. But I think if you do have those first two pieces satisfied, which I would argue most people in developed countries do. And in that case, then it's, you know, what, what can I do to, to lead a happy life, to lead my best life? And oftentimes it's those external things and a lack of agency that's stopping them from doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Because like, you know, Tony Robbins, he talks about like the six human needs, right? And the first one is like love and connection. The second one is security. And then the third one is esteem. And a coach that I'm working with literally is like, 
there's no point in going to like the like next three because the top three dominate people like they dominate people's lives and there's security in the I have a roof over my head but then it's like do I actually feel safe and secure in that space right or like even secure in my relationships like what's the foundation of my relationships type thing right so there's different ways of saying it but like you said and it, it it is very controversial I didn't realize this that those are in your control right? Like as my coach says, like you can develop yourself, that part of yourself to take like agency of those things, right? And that means overcoming a lot of things like core wounding from childhood and like all these things, right? This is what I work on, like with my clients now, just kind of fell into my lap because if you have physical pain, it's guiding you somewhere. This is what I've learned now. Pain is not just by mistake and it's not something that's made up in your head. It's a real experience, but it's guiding you towards something, and usually that something is for your betterment, right? If you choose to look at it that way, or like for me, I had chronic pain. It was really guiding me towards something better. So I agree with you in that sense, right? Like these are the things that I haven't heard anyone talk about really um, until I kind of went on my own journey and found this out. So I agree with you hundred percent. And that is kind of controversial, but I think it's true. And so are these conversations you're having with like teenagers yeah, a lot of them. So one of the mindsets that a lot of this kind of maps into is the mindset of anti-fragility. So anti-fragility is not the opposite of fragile. Um, when you think about something being fragile, if you drop a glass, it breaks, right? If you drop a glass and it's not fragile, then it just doesn't break. Anti-fragility is it bounces back even stronger, right? So it's the concept of like a diamond. The more pressure you put under it, the more the stronger it gets, the more robust it gets. And that mindset, I think, is extremely important today and, and even before. It's this mindset of, like you mentioned, when you're going through these challenges, looking at it from an angle of, okay, how can I grow from this? How can I become stronger through it? Not just get through it. Not just, okay, how do I just, was it, wait this out? You know, how do I just <laughs> wait this out? Like, it's not about that. It's about actually reflecting on it and looking, okay, how do I grow? How do I be better? And one of the things this Greek philosopher said that I really like, I think is Epictetus, said, your challenges make you great. And I wrote that on my, on my board when I, was, when I was starting my first company, because we were just like failing after failing after failing. You know, we're 21 year olds working in, a, in the security industry. And it was this quote, your challenges make you great. Because what does that mean? You can't be great without challenges. You can't expect to just wake up one day, successful, great, achieve greatness, if you don't have challenges. And so every single time we had a challenge, I would say like, yes, this is what's going to make me great. Like now I get to have this challenge, not, oh, I have to overcome it. It's I get to have this challenge. So now it will let me grow from it so I can become great. And so I think the more challenges you have up to a certain extent in certain areas, those are the things that are going to help you be that person that you want to be, but it's the mindset. It's how do you look at those challenges, right? Because if those challenges break you, well, challenges can also lead to that. And you see a lot of these people that have gone through some of the extreme situations, whether they've been imprisoned falsely or whether they've gone through drug addictions or, you know, much worse things than going to a customer meeting and, and your customer is saying no, right? It, <laughs> at the end of the day, that's not a big deal. And when you see the people that have bounced back from those extreme situations, they are inspiring people. They are leading their happiest lives. They have, they have found themselves, but there's, there's a price. You can't 
live, uh, or I mean, I think you can't live this like perfect life and get to a perfect state type of thing. I think their life is designed to have those ups and downs, but you are in control of how you view those ups and downs. It's so funny because I'm thinking about, I really studied Viktor Frankl um, because like you talk about horrendous, horrific things, right? And like the toughest situation in like human history kind of, right? He really wrote about what, like how people found happiness post, you know, the war, right? Because like people survived and then some people did not do well and some people really did. So he's like, what was the like, the like difference? And he also studied himself and he talked about meaning making, the people who were able to make meaning of what was going on were the people that were able to, A, they actually survived, but B, they were able to like live a happy life or some sort of like life of quality afterwards. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? It's having that long-term vision, but also being agile enough to deal with the challenges that come day to day because you're able to make meaning of things as they come. Am I off with that or do you agree with that or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is like developing mental fortitude and developing self-awareness and all of those things are in your control, right? As an individual, you are in charge of your mental fortitude. You are in charge of your self-awareness. No one will make you self-aware. You can't take a class, leave that class and be self-aware. You have to put in the work to do that. And so one of the things I, I, I like to, to say to a lot of the students that ask me about, you know, hacks to do things, I tell them shortcuts, shortcuts often lead to dead ends. And so there are ways to do things better. There are optimal ways to do things. You can learn from mistakes, but if you try to take shortcuts, they often lead to dead ends or just the wrong direction. This, I think, strongly applies when we're talking about self-awareness, when we're talking about understanding yourself, developing mental fortitude, you can't take the shortcut. You got to put in the work. And what are some of those things that you have to do to put in the work? Well, you have to be alone with your thoughts. So you, there's a lot of people and, and it's not a bad thing, but we're constantly, and I say we, cause I'm, I'm part of the group. We're constantly listening to podcasts. We're constantly listening to other people talk about their answers, whether it's around uh, self-awareness, whether it's around productivity, whether it's around finances, whatever it is. Um, but how, much time do you actually spend with your own thoughts, not someone else's thoughts and not thinking about something else either, but just thinking about your thought itself. It takes work. You know, we can talk about those, the shortcut pieces and the, and the, like the short sayings that, that feel good. But at the end of the day, all of that, you know, is, is just words unless you actually put in the work with yourself. Right. 100%. And I worked with Bob Proctor and I remember him saying like the scariest thing for most humans he's come into contact with is being alone with their thoughts. They would do anything other than do that. And then to think for themselves, like it seems so scary and like risky. And I remember you talking about that, teaching kids, like it's okay to think for yourself because I never had anyone really. It's the opposite. It's not okay to think for yourself. It's, it's necessary. It's imperative. It's necessary yeah. to think for yourself. What, like what is the opposite? The opposite is being dogmatic, the opposite is just following the herd. And it makes sense because that's how we've evolved. We've evolved to be mimetic. We've evolved to have a ton of mirror neurons in our brain. And by the way, our, our number of mirror neurons decreases over time. And so when we're young, that's where our biggest influences come from. How are the people around me acting? What are the societal norms? What are the general beliefs? You develop those things. When you grow older, you don't have as many mirror neurons 
but you also, that just means it's a little bit harder to change as well, because a lot of those beliefs are already baked into you, which is why I think that what you just said right now about people being scared to be alone with their thoughts or, you know, don't want to think for themselves, even though I would say you ask anyone, do you want to think for yourself? They'd be like, oh yeah, I want to think for myself. I want freedom. But when you actually look at decisions that people are making, is it your decision? Was it your decision to buy a Mercedes or was it actually driven by what people thought of you driving that car? A lot of people, not everyone, but for a lot of people that has a, have a Porsche, for example, it's one of the most uncomfortable cars. But why do you have a Porsche and not like maybe a super comfortable car? Well, because it's the whole, the whole image of it, right? But is that your decision or is it actually driven by someone else? And one thing that I often tell people is when, when people tell me about insecurities and their problems with insecurities, I ask them this thought experiment. Think of those insecurities. Imagine that you were the only person that existed in the world. No one else existed. Would you still have those insecurities? And every single time, the answer is no. Every single time, it's no. Those, they wouldn't exist. So they're not real. It's not like they're baked into your head. They're actually just an effect of other people. It's because of how much you might care about what other people think. So it's, it's not you. Your insecurities are not you. Your insecurities are just an effect of what's happening around you. And as soon as you fundamentally understand that, things change. When you realize that I'm in control of how I feel, but I just need to stop giving other people control of how I feel first. Yep. I feel that one. <laughs> I feel that one. I think it's really, really important what you just said. Your insecurities are not you, capital, you know, why you? I think that's really, really important. So I really want to ask you this question. I don't know why it's coming up, but it's more so because I know that there's, I have, a, I have an audience that ranges from people in university to parents. And so I'm thinking of the parent side of this, right? Like if they're, listening to what we're saying and they're like, yeah, I want my kid to think for themselves, right? Is there any suggestions you have for them to like create an environment or foster an environment where they can allow that to happen? The biggest thing is to let them fail. And so one of the things that we do in TKS is we set guardrails. So it's not about giving this open field and then eventually they find a cliff and fall off it. You know, that's not <laughs> what it's about. It's about oh giving God. them this open yeah. field and then building the fence around the cliff. The problem is what most parents do, and if you're a parent listening to this, you might disagree, but you're probably, you're probably wrong because I've talked to literally thousands of parents, is you set your fence too small. The cliff is way over there. The cliff is kilometers away. Why is your fence in this like small little area? Throw your fence around the perimeter so your kids don't fall on the cliff. But if they trip over a rock, if they get bitten by a, a mosquito that's like whatever that's okay let them frolic in the field let them explore even if you haven't been to those parts of the field that's okay uncertainty is not risk but then be there with the first aid kit that's the that's the kind of analogy that i would use for for a lot of parents that you know so many parents i talked to struggled when they were growing up a lot of parents didn't have money a lot of parents grew up in other countries, faced hardship. And so what's the first thing they want for their kids? Not to struggle, not to face those hardships. And what is the result? Putting extra pressure on getting good grades in school, extra pressure on 
you know, not being a certain type of person, what does that end up doing? Well, it ends up actually limiting their ability to think for themselves. It limits their ability to fail, limits their ability to struggle and learn, which is how their parents got there in the first place. And so I talk to these successful parents about all their hardships. And I say, well, how much, what percent do you think those hardships contributed to the person you are today? And they're always like 100% without those hardships. I never would be the person I am today. So I ask them, then why are you depriving your kids from having those hardships? Wow. And I'm sure you, you get answers like, I love my kids. <laughs> I want them to succeed. Right. Well, usually the light bulb turns on at that point in the moment, you know, you love your kid. You don't want them to get hurt. But when you really think about the long-term, when you really think about the development, what they're going to learn from it, things change. And so it's not really, it's not about emphasis, maximizing the short-term. Like right now, if my kid gets hurt, I'm going to rush to them with the Band-Aid. I'm going to rush to them, like doing everything for them. Or even, a, even an easier example, my kid's shoelace is untied. I see this all the time. The parent goes and ties the shoelace. What should you do? look at them say, okay, tie your shoe. I don't know how to tie my shoe. Okay. Figure it out. Then watch them for five minutes. Fail, fail, fail. Okay. Do this. Take one. Now take the other. Now do this. Now do this. That 10 minutes, let's say of just helping them, letting them struggle, tying their shoe has insane effects. It's that mindset now that I have to be independent, that I have to figure things out. And then if I need help, I need to seek it. It's such a small scenario, but it's not like a normal person would think about it that way. It's just, oh, my kid's shoe's untied. Let me tie it for them, right? And where does that come from? Oh, because I care about them. So I'm going to tie their shoe. You're not going to tie some random kid's shoe, right? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like you said, it's those tiny moments that we think, whatever, but it's like where the belief starts to get built. So I love that. So um, I know that we have to wrap up here. I'm going to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. And you talked about this before because you are really helping these kids identify what success is for them, for them without having society put pressure on it. And so I'm curious, being where you are now, what is your relationship to success today? So are you asking, like, how do I define success for myself? Sure whatever that question means to you. So my relationship with success is that I don't like the word because it's misinterpreted. That's my relationship with it. And so I'm constantly battling that word with people. So that's how to answer that question. It's I'm constantly helping people understand that I ask them, what does success mean to you? And, and it's always they realize that money and fame and credentials is societal's definition. And then they say what success means to them, which is often around something to do with happiness or relationships. But then when you look at their actions, it's still directly tied to the societal thing, right? So it's like people kind of know, but it's not acted on. And so my relationship with success is helping people actually act on what success means to them. The other thing of success is helping people understand what is success. To be successful, you have to succeed at something. To succeed at something, you have to have a goal to succeed at. To have a goal to succeed at, you need to set a goal. So oftentimes people go through life without any real goals and just want to be successful. Well, what is success? You have to define that. To do that, set some sort of goal. And ideally, to be successful on your standards, your criteria, then that means you need to set your own goal. If your goal is to get into Harvard, that's not your goal. 
that's your parents' goal. That's societal's goal. That's someone else's goal. What's your goal? You know, what do I want? What does success mean to me? What goals do I need to set for myself to achieve success? And that's why I kind of framed it that way because, and I purposely titled this this podcast because it's the two most commonly misunderstood things, spiritual, spirituality, and success. <laughs> so I was like, I want to just crack open a conversation about it. So thank you so much. If people want to know more about you or what you're doing, where can they find out more information? So if you uh, know any driven, curious kids uh, that want to be part of this Global Accelerator, uh, they can go to tks.world www.tks.world. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at the K Society. Uh, so K is in knowledge. So the K Society or Instagram, the K Society. Our Instagram is great. There's a lot of student stories on there. There's a lot of cool stuff. Um, and then for me personally, it's just my first name, last name on Twitter, Naveed Mathu. Wow, that was such a good episode. And we could probably have kept going, but um, I wanted to respect everyone's time. So David, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I mean, just to reflect on this episode really quick. I mean, he said so many important things. I don't even know where to begin. But I think the really important thing is knowing the difference between something that's done to you and by you, but also the influence that our parents have on us um, in so many different ways. So again, that's nor good or bad. It's just reality. So I think these are so many things we can consider whether you're a young person or not, whether you have kids or not. Um, I think this is relevant to everybody. So I just want to you know, thank him again for being on the show. I think this is really important information and something that I also help my clients with. So we are very aligned in that sense. So if this is something you want more in, information on, um, definitely reach out to him, his uh, contact information. If you know someone who's young and if you're interested in, in doing some work like this, this is something I help clients with all the time and I'd be so happy and honored to help you as well. So feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook at dr.tracydebbie. You can also email me at dr.tracydebbie at gmail.com or we can discuss how we can move forward together. So yeah, if you also haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave us a rating or review. We love that. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to share another really epic conversation with you next week. And until then, I hope you be well, stay well, and make it a great day. Bye.